Why do people who reject God seem to prosper and do so well in life? Uh, I remember thinking that at school, looking at the, the, young, the, the other students around me, uh, looking at the ones getting really good grades, uh, you know, really popular, well off. They, they were the ones to get their own car when they passed the driving les- lessons, all that sort of thing. And they had no interest in faith. They had no, they, they had no time for God. They sneered at him. They mocked him. And I always wondered, how does that work? Why is that the case? Maybe you can think of people in your own lives. Uh, friends at work, school friends, neighbours, family members. They've got no interest in following the Lord. Uh, and yet they're still happy, they're comfortable. They think they've got everything they might ever need. And we think, well, it just doesn't seem to be fair, does it? Is that really fair? Well, especially if we're facing difficult times, hard times for our faith. Because we're following Jesus, we think, where's the justice? How is this allowed to happen? Well, if that's you this morning, this afternoon, sorry, you've got this morning in my head for some reason. Uh, this psalm asks that question and answers it too. And it gives us real hope uh, for when we face situations like this. Uh, so we're going to dig into this psalm together, think about what it has to say to us. It's kind of two big headings and then three small headings for each one. Uh, and the main heading for the first part of the psalm is this. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the wicked prosper? That's what we see uh, in the first 11 verses. They kind of paint this picture uh, of someone who has rejected God. He's called the wicked man. And we see that this all seems to be happening in God, God's absence. Look at verse 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That is the question the psalm starts with. Where are you, God? Where is he? Why have you hidden yourself? Why have you stood far away despite the the writer of the psalm facing real serious trouble? Maybe you've been in that situation yourself, crying out to God and not getting an answer. It kind of begins to feel a bit hopeless, doesn't it? Especially if you're you're facing persecution, oppression uh, from other people. But somehow in this psalm, it seems like because God isn't there, or he's, he's seemingly absent, the wicked are prospering. And we get this picture of this wicked man who has rejected God. It's like he said, look, God's nowhere to be seen. I can do what I like. And we see his character just kind of unveiled, exposed as we go through the psalm. So we're going to look at what this psalm says about the character of this, of this wicked person. And the first thing we see is that he is arrogant and proud. He is arrogant and proud. Look at verse 2 with me. Just scan through these verses. See the emphasis. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord's. In his pride, the, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. It's really strong, isn't it? It's really clear. This pride, this arrogance that is coming across uh, and it's this pride that leads him to revile the Lord. That's a strange word. That's not one we'd use every day, is it? But it kind of means to, to kind of push any thought of God out of his heart, out of his life. Say, I'm not interested. I don't want to know. He's got no room for God. That's a really interesting phrase, isn't it? In, in verse uh, four, where it says, in all his thoughts, there's no room for God. I don't know. How, it'd be interesting to count how many thoughts we had each day. Uh, we're always thinking, aren't we? There's always stuff going through our minds. 
Uh, and for this person, it, there is never a thought for God. It's never entering his mind. There's no space, there's no room for that. He's so busy, he's got no time to consider God. Instead, what does he do? Verse 3, he boasts of his own heart, the cravings of his own uh, self. That's what's important, he says. That's what's at the centre of my life. Whatever feels right to him. Now, that's a big problem with that, isn't there? There's a verse in, in Matthew 15, verse 19, which says this. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Where we are sinful people. We have turned away from God, which means our hearts don't sort of naturally lean towards. They lean away from him. We'd much rather lie and steal and hate and do those things. I wonder if you've ever felt those temptations where it feels true to you. I don't know, tempted to steal something you really want when no one's looking, you think you might get away with it. Or to tell lies to make yourself look good. Surely we've all done that, haven't we? When you're kind of put into a corner, you tell a lie to get out of something. On our own, our hearts are not reliable. And yet in this psalm, we've got this, it's almost celebrated by this man uh, as the right way to live. But actually it's this attitude that leads him in verse 2 to hunt down the weak. Do you see that? Why bother thinking of others, he says. Why bother caring for other people? Life's all about me. It's what I want. And actually, I'm going to just push everyone else out of the way. I'm going to throw people under the bus so that I get what I want. I can achieve it. You see, this horrible, boasting, arrogant man, he, he shows his hatred for God and for other people in what he says and what he does. It's, it's, a, bold, it's a strong picture, isn't it? But I wonder, actually, it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise because we see the same things happening today, don't we? Think about... Often the arrogance of world leaders. Think about the films we watch, the TV we watch, music we listen to. There's lots of messages that, that, that we can see in social media and that sort of thing, where it's all about putting yourself first. It's all about making yourself look good. Actually, is that something we, we look at, the arrogance, the pride that's there in the world? Maybe you need to, to think about that, to, to browse carefully, examining the sort of messages that's coming across, not just accepting it. Actually, thinking, what is this saying? Is this true? Or is this telling me to put myself first rather than to look to God? Maybe we see it in those around us, friends and family that, that are in that same place, they have no room to think about God. I suppose, you know, that the, the world around us says, well, there's not even there's no right or wrong, really. It's kind of up to you to decide. You can live the way you want. Why should they think about God if that's if that's what it says? It's all about putting yourself first. But it's quite strong, isn't it, to call them, to, to say, wicked. Would we call our friends and family wicked people? They're like the wicked man in this psalm? Surely, most of our friends, they're good people, aren't they? They, they, they do nice things, they're, they're okay. Well, actually, look again at verse 4, see what it says. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, that's God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. So even if it's a really good person, but has got no room, no room in their thoughts to listen to God, to, to look for God, to seek God. There's something wicked there, there's something arrogant, the pride, the sin in our hearts that kind of t- tells us to ignore God. It's quite painful to consider that, isn't it? It's quite cutting, it's quite sharp, uh, this passage. But it's what, it's what the, the Bible reveals, That's, it's the truth. That, that many around us have rejected God, they have proudly gone their own way. It doesn't surprise us, perhaps that sin leads to that pride, leads to that arrogance. 
And it's probably very easy for us to sit and think, oh, at least we're not like that, until we realize that actually we are. <laughs> we're proud, we're arrogant. If left to our own devices, we would be in exactly the same boat. It's only thanks to Christ that, that he saves us, he changes us, he humbles us. Uh, left to our own devices, we'd be exactly the same. Arrogant and proud. Secondly, we see that he is prosperous and secure. Surely you think, surely it's not going to be long, is it, before God kind of comes and does something about this arrogance. But the psalm actually suggests like there's something different happening. Look at verse 5. Instead of judge, judgment, the wicked man is prospering. He's doing just fine. He's sneering at his enemies because he's got nothing to worry about. Why bother with God? Why bother with God's laws, he's saying? Because I can do what I like. He's prosperous and he's confident. He's secure. You see that in verse 6. He says, nothing will ever shake me. No one will ever do me harm. How confident that is. You know, if he's doing well in life, I think, well, I'm untouchable. I can do what I want. Nothing's going to come close. Nothing can interfere. God's certainly not interested in what's going on in my life. You know, if a, an, an unsuccessful person kind of throws his weight around and, you know, uh, is proud and arrogant, you just kind of laugh at them, don't you? Because you can't take them seriously. But if it's someone successful who, you know, drives a Ferrari and wears designer suits and flies off for holidays to all the really best destinations, you think, well, actually, is he doing something right? Especially hard if, if, if they mock us for faith. If, this, if these pride, proud people say, well, ah, just forget it. Look, there might be a God, but he's not interested in what you do. Actually, if you want to get ahead in life, you've got to do it for yourself. God's not going to help you. You've got to be strong yourself. The strong are the ones that have succeed. If you're not successful, it's your own fault. That's often a message, isn't it, that, that there's put across. Maybe that feels familiar to you. Maybe you've seen that kind of attitude at work and friends and, and neighbours. Kenilworth is quite a well-to-do place. There's full of high achievers, full of people, you know, do high up in their fields. I think it'd be really easy to fall into that kind of mindset that actually... Is that what we really need? Is what we really need to be prosperous and secure and safe with our worldly possessions and, and, and secure in our finances? Is that what our children need? We think as long as you know, we, we get good grades and they get good jobs, then they're going to be all right. Do we kind of fall into that kind of way of thinking? Because actually it can be dangerous. It's, it's, it's obviously good to recognise that, that God gives us good gifts. But if it just becomes just about that and not about the gospel and not about eternity it can be really dangerous because real security is not found in those things. Actually, Jesus says in Luke 12, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's something I need to hear, I know. Maybe that's something you need to hear. Well, the third thing we see about this, the character of this wicked man is that he has a vile tongue and he's filled with violent action. Vile tongue and violent action. Verse 7 his mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. We might think, might we, that actions are much worse than, than what we say. If we do something, it's worse than that. But actually, what we say can sometimes really reveal the depths of our character. Uh, and someone who I used to work with revealed this. Um, you'd speak to her face to face and she, she was lovely. You know, she was really kind, or at least came across like that. Uh, but one day she, she called one of our staff to ask something and it went to answer machine 
And so she left this message saying, you know, please do this or that. And then she forgot to hang up. And instead of hanging up, she started swearing and insulting this woman and leaving this horrible message, kind of just like her, this anger spilled out. And it was all recorded on the answer machine. Not good. Very embarrassing. But her character was revealed. It, the things that she said revealed what was going on in her heart. Maybe you, you know that you've been in similar situations. It's easy, isn't it? Sometimes to lose control of our tongues. And it reveals the sin inside. That's what's going on in the psalm as well. His mouth is what reveals his character. He speaks as if he, you know, he has no consideration that he might one day have to answer to the one who created him. But it is more than just his tongue. We've got this violent attitude. Do you see in verses 8 to 11? We've got all these pictures of violence as it's built, built up through the psalm. But then he, he lies in wait. It talks about ambush. It talks about like a lion in cover. It talks about uh, catching someone in a net. It's this kind of sneaky language, isn't it? Kind of hiding, prowling, ready to catch someone and destroy them. And in verse 10, we see that's what happens there. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. It's tragic to see that this wicked man seems to be succeeding in his violence, in what he wants to do. I'm sure the psalmist had a particular situation in mind. But actually, it works, doesn't it, for more broadly, for us to be thinking about as well. Sometimes people go through serious suffering and yet at the same time feel like they're being hunted down. The wicked man, you know, he seems to have it all and yet he doesn't hesitate, does he, to take even more from people who have got nothing. That, again, feels really similar and familiar. There are situations like that happening in our world today. Well, the first half of the psalm, it kind of leaves us in a pretty desperate place, doesn't it? It's a pretty hopeless kind of picture. God seems to be absent, the wicked are prospering, and the helpless victims, they're the ones suffering, they're in real trouble. And we think, why? Why do the wicked prosper? Where is the justice in this? Why is this allowed to happen? Well, fortunately, the psalm doesn't stop there. It goes on into the second half, and the second half gives us great hope. Because we see that God will see. God sees and he will act. God sees and he will act. Look at the change in verse 12. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. You see, there's, it's almost like a change of tone, isn't it? It's gone from wondering where God is and despairing to saying, ah, God will come. God will arise. I know who, what God is like. I know who he is. And there's confidence, there's faith, there's hope there. In a fresh sense, isn't there? It's like God hasn't acted yet, but there's confidence that he will come and that he will do the right thing. I think that is exactly what we need to see if we're going through the same things. If we're asking those sort of questions, if we're facing persecution, oppression, we need to remember what God is like, who he is, and actually call on him in our time of need. Think about, there's three things we, that give us reason to have great confidence. Firstly, we see that God is the king forever. You see that in verse 16? The Lord is king forever and ever. That is the centre of the hope that, that is found here. God is king forever. He's the one who created everything. He's the Lord of all. He's the one in control. It says the nations will perish. That's true, isn't it? You look at the mightiest of kingdoms throughout history. 
They seem so invincible, so powerful, and yet they all fade away. God is the one who lasts forever. He, he's the one who made the universe. He is eternal. That's what we need to hold on to. Remember that when there seems so much worldly power and fearful things happening in our world. We know God is king forever. There's, there's no wishful thinking here. It's not saying, oh, I hope God might rescue me someday. It's like, no, there's certainty. That's what gives us great hope because there's certainty. God will not change. God cannot change. He's always the same. And he's always righteous. He's always doing the right things. So that means that he will judge. He will come and judge those who reject him. We see that in verse 13. It's almost like it's kind of mocking questions like, why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he push God away? Why does he say to himself, oh, God's not going to call me to account? It's saying, how foolish, what a stupid attitude to have. Because we know what God is like and we know that he will come. You see, this man's pride, his arrogance, it does not last. It will not last. He will call them to account. They think, oh, it will never be found out. It will never be discovered. But we see nothing is hidden from God. Everything will come out in the end. Now, earlier I spoke about that kind of confident swagger that people who reject God sometimes have. And it's easy to be swayed by that or to have doubts because they just seem so sure of themselves, so confident. But then you compare, I don't know, the confidence found in a person to the confidence and the truth of the God of the universe who created everything and is greatly, hugely powerful and mighty. It's quite staggering, isn't it? You think, well, that tiny bit of confidence is nothing compared to the trust we can have in God. I remember uh, at school one, of my, one time, um, we were standing in a little circle and one of my friends started saying some really stupid, insulting things about one of the teachers in the school, uh, just mocking him, insulting him. And he was kind of confident that, you know, that we as an audience would be really impressed with his kind of, you know, boasting and just saying stupid things. But what he didn't realise was that the teacher he was talking about was standing directly behind him at the time. And it took, it, it was, <laughs> let's just say the punishment happened very quickly. He was taken off. Uh, because he was found out. You know, everyday people are kind of doing that. They're proudly ignoring God, putting themselves first, maybe oppressing other people. They don't realise how close they are to God's judgment, how close they are to having to give an account to him. It's serious. And actually, if that is you today, if you've never really understood what it means to, to trust in God, you see, it's not too late. There is true hope found in God that can be found nowhere else thanks to the Lord Jesus and maybe it's time to go you know I need to humble myself I need to recognize my pride I need to turn to Jesus and ask for his help we will have to give an account before God for those of us trusting Jesus there is great hope there because we have Jesus to, to stand in our defense but if you don't trust him it's a serious thing to consider I really urge you to, to think about that for yourself if, if you're not trusting him. There's another reason why it's such good news to trust him because we see that he does care for the helpless. He really cares for the helpless. We, we see this great contrast that we've got the arrogant, wicked man, the weak, helpless, hopeless victims. We think, does anyone care? And then we read verse 14. But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief. You take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You're a helper of the fatherless. Isn't that good news? 
helper of the fatherless. He sees, he hears, he hears their cries, he, he understands, he defends them, he's there for them. He does care, he will act to protect them, to look after them. He will come. That's how the psalm ends, isn't it? It says um, in verse 18, mere, more, mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. That's what we look forward to when God comes. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. Now, when I was little, I used to get really anxious that I would get left behind somewhere and my, or that my parents wouldn't come and pick me up. Uh, I remember going to football practice. Yeah, that's right. I used to play football. This was a long time ago. And uh, I, I used to panic when my parents didn't turn up. I'd see the other boys and girls getting picked up, taken home. For some reason, my dad was always running a bit late and I would just be like, my stomach would be in knots. I'd be panicking that I'd, you know, what was I going to do if they didn't come and collect me? And I kind of look back now and think, oh, of course. Like, I, need, I need that bigger picture to know he was never going to abandon me. He was never going to, you know, not pick me up because my dad loves me. He cares for me. But it was really hard in that moment to maybe see that. And I think sometimes it feels like that with God, doesn't it? We wonder where he is. We wonder why he lets us suffer when the wicked are prospering. We, we maybe feel anxious. We, we feel that pain inside. We see in the psalm, we can remember, we can trust that he does act. He will respond. He will punish the wicked. He will restore the humble. Sometimes his timing is not the timing we would want. Sometimes we do face suffering and, and we have to trust God in the midst of that. That doesn't mean we should doubt that he is good. It doesn't mean we should doubt that he has our best interests at heart. If we're believers, he is making us more like Christ. And sometimes that means going through real hard times. But he will come. It's good to see that, isn't it? Do you see, to have both halves of this, we need to see both to really feel encouraged, I think. But I hope you are encouraged today to see this psalm. Yes, it's really honest about the, 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 the state of the world as it rejects God. But it puts everything into perspective. God is the king forever and ever. And those who commit themselves to God will not be forsaken. We will trust him. But actually, it's more than just an encouragement. It, it, it helps us understand what it means for us to, to live in this world today. Because this psalm really shows us that, what Jesus went through. And as Christians, we're called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We follow in his footsteps. If you just think about what Jesus went through, he faced that hatred. He faced the accusations of the wicked. Think about those who wanted him dead. They, were, they would plot and scheme. They would... Like verse 7, their mouths were full of lies, full of evil. They were lying in wait to try and catch Jesus out so they could kill him. He was someone who fought against that kind of proud arrogance of the religious leaders at the time. And instead he was helper of the fatherless. He always had time for those who really needed him. There was something incredibly magnetic about Jesus, wasn't there? He drew people in. When they were even, you know... Social outcasts, they were welcomed by him. There was something different. That's something incredible to see, isn't it? That's something we want to try and somehow emulate ourselves, that, that, that loving welcome to everyone. But more than those things, he was also the one who cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he died on the cross to save us from our sins. Do you see he felt, verse 1, 
of Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of troubles? Is that, is that just gives us some glance of what Jesus went through on the cross as the, the full weight of, of sin was laid on his shoulders as he faced God's wrath. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Had God forgotten him? Was he far off in that moment? Well, Jesus knew, didn't he, that the separation that, that came from bearing that sin at that moment, he knew he had to go through that, and yet he was confident to trust in, in his Father, even at that moment. We see that in 1 Peter, a couple of verses here, 1 Peter 2, 22. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. That is an example for us to follow, isn't it? That when we face wicked people, we're tempted to retaliate? No. That's not we're called to follow Christ, but not do the same thing. Instead, do you see what it says? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Do you see that confidence there? He entrusts himself to his father, to the one who judges justly. It's like whatever happens to him, he knew he could trust his father. He knew that he was dying to save the ones that he loved from their sin. He knew that, that those who hated him would face judgment. And it's, you see, it's a similar thing for us as we follow Jesus. We might suffer. We might be called to, to go through great suffering at the hands of wicked people who have rejected God. And we shouldn't be surprised when it happens that, that persecution is increasing, even in, here in the UK. And frankly, the, the respect for Christianity seems to have just evaporated. What do we do? We entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. We trust that we are safe and secure because he loves us. Because Jesus died for us. Not in our own prosperity, not in our own pride. Because of who God is and what he's done for us. And then we can face wicked people, can't we? People who have rejected Christ, we can face them with absolute confidence. Because we know we trust the King who is, the, the God who is King forever and ever. The one who sees our trouble, the one who encourages us to keep going. We keep holding fast to that he's the one who who loves us and cares for us and we look forward to eternity with him do you see there is great hope in jesus he's the one who died and rose again he is reigning now he is the defender of the fatherless and the oppressed he is he intercedes for us he is the one who can forgive us for the times that we are like the 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 verses earlier in the psalm when we're proud when we're arrogant when we use our tongues and our actions for evil, when we hold on to this world's treasures in the wrong way. When we get it wrong, when we have to turn back in repentance, there is forgiveness, there is grace, thanks to Jesus. We have to accept that without Christ we would be just as bad as the wicked man in this psalm. But if we're trusting in Christ, he is changing us. He's at work by his Spirit, making us more like himself. It's such good to remember that. So I just hope that is encouraging, that whatever you're facing this week, maybe it feels like you've got a really tough week ahead. You're not sure what, how you're going to get through it. Do you feel like the injustice is never ending for you? Don't forget, actually the God of the universe sees what you're going through, knows he's with you in that. Uh, and we have these wonderful truths to support us, to keep us going, 
in that mission to, to follow Jesus, to trust him, to tell, tell the good news to others as well. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you for what this psalm shows us. The reality of, of wickedness in our world, of people who have rejected you, but also the incredible good news of who you are as the king, who, the, the forever king, who loves us, who is father to the helpless. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace and love that you show us. Please give us confidence and hope that whatever we face, whether we've got difficulty now or whether we face difficulty in the future, that you would help us just find that firm foundation of, of faith and trust in you, that, that you will never let us go. So help us to hold fast to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.